Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. As you know, I always try to have something important to impart to you. Mother's Day, Father's Day are really, really, really big days to me. But I want to preface what I'm going to say to you by telling you something. So look right here. Today's message is a word from God for every male in this room. It's not a message, and it's not a sermon. Because it took me 48 years to be able to articulate to you what I'm going to say today. Because... We desperately need a word from God for the men of America and the men of Acadiana. Today, we want to celebrate every father. The fathers that stayed, maybe the fathers that left and came back. The fathers that had the courage, even after failing, to get up, face the stiff winds of their own consequences, and still pursue God's best for their life in spite of their past. There is a war in America on men, and there is a war on fatherhood. Why, you might ask? Well, just just read the Bible. In the beginning, it began, and it says, and God created man. Once the assault to diminish God from the public square was complete, the next logical attack was to destroy man and his identity, along with his highest calling, the calling of fatherhood. You see, you're a male by by birth, but you become a man by choice. Any male can help procreate, but only a true man stays, plays, prays, cries, and dies to himself to earn that lofty title of father. This is why there's so many men that have children, but so few children who have fathers. Today, we want to celebrate every father. We want to congratulate those fighting in the true trenches of fatherhood. And I can tell you, it hasn't gotten easier. I am a grandfather today. All my children are grown. And when I was growing up, I I can remember my my in-laws saying, very godly people, Michelle's parents, thank God I don't have to raise children today. Can you imagine what they would say now? When there's more evil in an electronic device that most young people think is glued to their ear or their body. Yes, you can clap. Go ahead. I'm going to give you permission. Kids, don't get mad. I'm going to help you before it's all over with. I also want to equip every male here, regardless of your age, who one day aspires to be standing across the room and see some little three-foot mini you with a high-pitched voice that you can't tell as a boy or girl go, That's my daddy. Family was God's idea. It always has been his idea. He began the family and he began it with the father in the garden. And because he began it with a family, with a father, the enemy wants to destroy fathers first. Before he could destroy the family, he had to first destroy fathers. I want to remind you again, if you want to see what God wants to use, just look and see what the enemy is attacking. For the last 40 years, the families have been under assault by our entire culture. Almost 40% of children wake up today without any father, stepdad, double stepdad, or their actual fathers 
in their home. To destroy the family, the enemy had to begin with the fathers. Listen to this staggering statistics. 90% of runaways, 85% of those with behavioral disorders, 75% of those in drug abuse, 80% of those that are incarcerated in prison, 71% of high school dropouts, 75% of rapists, and 63% of all suicides have one thing in common. Guess what it is? No father in the home. The final assault came when fathers became so irrelevant that they were no longer needed to define the very institution they were created to procreate and protect. That institution, the family. In same-sex marriage, a generation that has been so abandoned by their fathers that young boys now want to grow up and be their mothers because they're the last hero figures left in their life to emulate. The other 60% of the fathers that stayed weren't necessarily healthy, but thank God they stayed. Why is there such an assault on the family and on fathers in particular? Because fathers, I mean, every father here, raise your hand. Come on, your kids are back there in the nursery. They'll call you out. Okay. Because you and I share the same title. This book tells us that only one other person carries. And do you know who that is? It's God. I am to be a living reflection of God. Even in my brokenness, even in my fallen humanity, the biggest picture that my children should ever get of God, their heavenly father, should be from me, their earthly father. We're not the first generation to ever experience anything like this. As a matter of fact, there has been other generations where there was assault on males and on fathers in particular. There are three particular times in history that we can look at. Today, we're going to look at one of them. The first time was in Moses' time. Before Moses would be chosen to be a deliverer, Pharaoh said that all males that were born should be literally aborted at birth to take them and to throw them in to the Nile River. Why? Because a deliverer was going to become a father of a nation, Moses. The second time was 2,000 years ago when Herod ordered that all the babies two years old and under that were males be killed in a city called Bethlehem. Why? Because the Savior of the world was to be born. And then today, since 1973, over 40 million babies have been aborted. That's 10% of the entire population of the United States, almost 400 million people. For every 1,000 babies born, 186 were aborted. This is the holocaust of abortion. Each assault was just before God raised up a father figure, a deliverer. So today, we're going to look at one of those stories and see what God wants to say to us out of their example. In Exodus chapter 2, we get the story of Moses. Exodus chapter 2, it says this, And a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife of the daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him and dabbed it with asphalt and pitch and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds on the riverbank. Now, let me translate that for you. She put him in a P-row. 
and his sisters stood afar off. We now know her name is Miriam to know what would be done. And as this little bitty, little bitty Pira was going down, the daughter, her sister, his sister was running beside it, Miriam. And the daughter of Pharaoh came out to bathe along the river. And her maidens walked alongside the riverside. And when she saw the little ark with the reeds, she sent her maids to get it. And when she opened it up, she saw the child. And behold, the baby wept. She had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister ran up and said to Pharaoh's daughter, do you want me to go get a nurse from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take the child away and nurse him for me and I will give you wages. This was Old Testament welfare. Moses' mama got paid for taking care of him. So the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, which means drawn out because I drew him out of the water. Now, how many of you know this story? Raise your hand. Okay. You know what's interesting about this story that we often forget? Do you know who wrote this story? Who's telling the narration of this story? The person that wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He got it directly from God. It's called the Pentateuch. Do you know what his name was? Moses. Moses is telling his story. This is an autobiography of him describing what happened to him and how he arrived at the place that he is. But let me give you something really interesting. All the, women, all the people that are mentioned in this story so far that are heroes are all women. There's over 20 references to women. Seven of them to his mother, three to his sister, and the rest to Pharaoh's daughter and her maidens. You say, Pastor, what, what happened to the men? Well, what was wrong with the men at that time? The men under Pharaoh were made to be slaves. And you know what slavery does? It emasculates men. It removes them from their true identity. And look right here. You say, Pastor, but we're not in slavery today. Oh, yes, we are. People are enslaved to their possessions. They are enslaved to debt. People are enslaved to their ego. They're enslaved to all of the wealth that they have. They're enslaved to addictions. A lot of our generation is enslaved. And it's robbed men of their identity. So what do we get out of this story? Pastor, well, Moses is born in spite of the order from Pharaoh to kill all the baby boys. And now we pick up the story. Moses is now 40 years old, where we're about to read. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think Moses did as the grandson of the wealthiest man in the world that he was 40? Men? If you had all the money in the world and all the power in the world and you were a teenager, you're driving the baddest chariots, okay? You're on Pimp My Chariot, okay? They're they're coming, MTV is doing videos of your crib. You are dating all the hottest girls, in Egypt, they're like doing belly dances and stuff for you and wiggling their head and junk. I mean, all of that Egyptian wild stuff. What was he doing? 
Let's get this party started. That's what he was doing for 40 years. Maybe you partied a little bit in your lifetime. But the time comes when the party gets old and pleasure gets old. Moses is now 40 years old and he's beginning to realize maybe I was rescued by more than chance. Maybe there is a purpose. Maybe there's a reason why I'm not a slave, but instead I have slaves and servants. Maybe there's a reason why I wasn't raised in the pit like they are, but I was raised in the palace. And so at 40 years old, we pick up the story, Exodus 2.11. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was, when he was what? Remember that. That he went out to his brother and he looked and he saw their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brothers. And he looked this way and that. When he saw that there was no one there, he killed the Egyptians and he hit him in the sand. He went out the next day and behold, now there are two Hebrews fighting with one another. And he said to the one that did wrong, why are you striking your companion? The guy looked at him and said, who made you? A prince and a judge over us. Do you intend to kill me like you killed the Egyptians? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard this matter, he sought to kill Moses. And Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well, and there the priest of Midian, who had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs of water of their father's flock. Now, Moses kills an Egyptian. The next day he goes back, he sees two Hebrews fighting. He tries to stop them, and they look and go, what are you going to do? You're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And so in fear, he leaves. The last words he ever hears is, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian soldier? And he leaves. And for 40 years, he's going to be in the wilderness. When he runs into the wilderness, he finally gets to a place where he needs some water at a well in the middle of the wilderness. And seven girls come up. Come on now. God's good. Okay. Seven babes come up and they need a hero. So he jumps up, brings water to all of their animals, and they go back and tell their father, who says, why did you come back so quickly? It usually takes longer. He said, well, we went, but there was a man there, and he helped us get water. The dad says, go get him. Bring him back. And Moses marries one of his daughters. Her name is Zipporah, and he stays there for 40 years. Say that, 40 years. So he's 40 years in Egypt. Now he's 40 years out of Egypt, and now he is about to have an encounter He's going to see, while he's tending the flock, a bush burning, but it won't be consumed. It's an asbestos bush. It's a fake fireplace. And so he draws near to it, and when he does, he hears a voice that says, Moses, Moses, and he goes near it, and it's there that God begins to unfold to him all that he has for him. But let's look and see where this all transpires. Because you see, this story tells us that when Moses had grown old, listen carefully to me, men. 
You may grow old, but you never grow up until you begin living for purpose and not pleasure. The Apostle Paul said, when I was a man, I put away childish things. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure as the chief end of life. Children live to play. Men live for something bigger. They live for purpose. And now Moses is about to have the encounter of his life. He's 80 years old. He's watching his father-in-law's flock, and we're going to pick it up in Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of what? The desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame. Now, when you see that phrase in the Old Testament, it's called a Christophany. What it means is it's an Old Testament appearing of Jesus. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame from the middle of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the fire was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And it's there that he has this encounter where God begins to tell him what he wants him to do. Here's the principle I want to bring out to you. He was on the backside of the wilderness, and the wilderness became the mountain of God. Now, let me ask just a simple question. Didn't do this in the other services, but got a little more time. How many of you had a daddy you want to be just like? Raise your hand. Okay, raise your hand. I want to see this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four. 32, 33, 34. Okay, less than 40 people and the 400 or more people that are here. That's men and women. How many of you are pretty sure you don't want to be like your daddy? Raise your hand. Okay, that's the majority of people that are here. Do do you know what that is? That's an unmet need in your life. It's a wilderness in your life. I, I know a little bit about that. My daddy was married five times. Each woman he married to my mother had been married two or three times. And when all the other children, there were six children in my family, they all left to go with my mama. I was the only one that stayed with my daddy. So I got drugged through every single one of those relationships. One of my deepest cries, nine-year-old, I can remember sitting on the front porch of my house. The police had come the night before. Uh, I mean, another fight, another crazy thing between my mom, my dad, or one of my stepmoms. And I can remember saying to myself, I don't know how, but one day my children will not go through this hell. I don't know how, but I will not allow them to go through this. Some of you here know exactly what I'm talking about. I see you crying and I see you shaking your head. It's really easy to take that desert area of your life and go, man, life sucks. Man, I really got the short end of the stick. Man, you, you, you ever see parents that go, you know, well, we planned you and you and you and you and you, but now you, you were an accident. I always want those kids to jump up and say, you know what? So are you. I was supposed to be born to the rich white people at River Ranch. I don't know how I got stuck with you. (laughs) There are no illegitimate children, just illegitimate parents, because no child is ever an accident. God knows who they are, even if their parents haven't figured it out. And it's almost like it's a wilderness. 
Like I never got the love. I never got the acceptance. I never got the car. I never got the accolades. No one was ever there at my sporting events. Nobody was there at my choir. Nobody was there in the moment when I got the reward. Listen carefully to me. I don't care how good of a father you are or how good of a father you had. There are areas, because we're human beings, where there is going to be a desert area that's going to be created in your children's life. Regardless of what kind of father you had. But if you will trust God with those areas, then the desert areas of your life can become the place you meet God. Scripture says, when your father and mother forsake you, I, the Lord, will take you up. God is the father to the fatherless. God's not the father you had. He's the father you should have had. And regardless of what it is, and listen, listen, again, I told you my heart. I told you my dream. My own children have looked at me, Daddy, you weren't there when I was in sixth grade and I had my junior high school. I got the award for reading the most books and getting spanked most, and then you weren't there. There's always going to be some area because you're a human being where you fall short, but you can either look at that as a desert or you can allow that to be the very place that God meets you as God the Father and he speaks to you at that moment just like he did Moses. There is what we must do. And now God is appearing to him. He's appearing to him and he's about to give him his lifetime assignment. Malachi 4.6 says this, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. This is a scripture that gives us two promises. Number one, that God will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. This verse in Malachi was written 500 years before Jesus would come. It's a prophetic picture of Jesus. But here's the second part. He says, lest I strike the earth with the curse. You know what the curse is? There's no more fathers. There's no more fathers. It's a father's job to show a boy how to be a man. Just like a man can never show a girl how to be a woman. The best woman in the world can't show a boy how to be a man. Only a man can show a boy how to become a man. And there, as Moses has this encounter in Exodus 3, and God says, I want you to go back. I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh, I said to let my people go. Listen to Moses' response in Exodus 3.11. And Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Can I tell you this? We have a generation of men that are saying, who am I? We have a generation of men who feel like the world is against me. The world is against me. How in the world am I to lead? How in the world am I supposed to stand up and be a man of God? A father's job, it's very simple. You know whose job it was to name children in the Bible? That's the reason why you have your father's last name and not your mother's last name. A father's job is to name, to claim, and to bless 
It's what God did when Jesus was baptized by John and he came up and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. I have walked five young men into manhood. And in the moments of questioning, in the moments of doubt, being able to look at them and go, look at me. I know who you are. You're an arranger. I know what God put inside of you. I know your mama. I know your daddy. I know your grandfather. I know your grandmother. You're going to make it. I know it looks difficult. I know you wonder, how am I going to do it? God made you who you are, and I want to remind you, you're going to be a man of God and fulfill God's purpose for your life. Many of you here were never named and claimed and blessed. So you know what you tried to do? You tried to claim yourself with degrees. You tried to name yourself with possessions. You tried to bless yourself. And if you want to see how broken our generation is from rap stars all the way to people who are confused with their sexual identity, look at a generation that has never had fathers to name, claim, and define them, and they're all trying to do it to themselves. And they only leave one identity to find out that's not who they are. It's another identity. To find out that's not who they are, it's another identity. Because if you live by your feelings, your feelings are always going to change. And no matter what you think you are, when your feelings change, you're going to be something else. That's why I build my identity upon the God who made me and the word that never, ever, ever changes. Here's a, here's a shocking part of this story that I'd never seen before. Moses was wounded by every father in his life. Jewish history tells us, you look at this story and Moses is writing it. Where was Moses' daddy? Do you know what Jewish history tells us? That when Zipporah, excuse me, when, when his wife, his mama, Jochebed, that's her name. When Jochebed chose to keep Moses and not drown him, Jewish history tells us that his father divorced his mother. So verses stay there and bear the weight of caring and hiding for a child that was chosen by God. He chose to opt out. His grandfather, adopted grandfather, was Pharaoh. He fled because he wanted to do what? Kill him. Later in the wilderness, after he would bring the children of Israel out, he had his brother with him. His name was Aaron. Even Aaron would turn against him. The only man that helped him in his life, the only man that helped him in his life was his father-in-law, Jethro, who gave him a new opportunity in the wilderness, who gave him a daughter, and who would later give him some of the wisest counsel of his life. Have I made the picture clear? There's an assault on the family, and there's an assault on men, and there's an assault on fatherhood because family was God's idea. And when you put a father there, it always reminds us of him. And that in order to destroy a picture of him, you got to destroy the family. In order to destroy the family, you got to destroy the father. Can I tell you what's crazy? Some of you might be old enough to remember this. In 2000, in 2000, 22 years ago, I stood in the Washington Mall with one million men. We were fasting and we were praying for the men of America that they would turn to God. 
This was before same-sex marriage. This was before all the LGBTQR, all the different things that we are there. Listen, I'm not hating on anybody. I love everybody. Everybody needs Jesus. This is not a palace for the perfect, but a hospital for the hurting. And if you're hurting, this is the place for you. I stood there and we prayed a day and fasted that God would send revival to America's men. And I look back at that moment. That was God's greatest last cry to the men of America before the onslaught of male masculinity as men being the leaders of their homes, as men serving their families, as Christ did the church and laying down their life so they will follow. If someone would have showed us on a video that day on the screen, that million men, if you don't turn to God, here's what's coming in the next 20 years. And if they would have shown the next 20 years, those men would still be there praying today. So, Pastor, how do we regain the fathers lost in a fatherless generation? And this is the message to every male here, regardless of your age. Number one. Recognize that the enemy wants to wound you where God wants to use you. He wants to wound you. That's why the devil's telling you you're not a good father. No matter what you do, it won't be right. You'll always make mistakes. It's true. You will always make mistakes. You're human. You'll always fall short. Can I tell you one of the most powerful things you can ever do for your children? Look right here. On Father's Day, maybe they're going to have some great meal for you like Cheerios or something. Maybe somebody got real bold and went out and ordered KFC or something. Okay, and, and, and you're going to be around the table. Can I tell you today one of the most powerful things, men, you can do for your children? Listen to me. Apologize to them for the mistakes you've made. Remind them before they remind you. And especially if they're males, listen to me. One day they're going to be you. Show them what they need to do when they become you. recognize the enemy wants to wound you. Do you remember the last words that Moses heard before he left Egypt? And then they said to him, Exodus 2.14, who made you a, and a, what's the answer to that? Who did? Say it loud. Who? But when Moses heard the audible voice of God, he said, God, who am I that I should go? Watch this. For 80 years, God had worked on that little package named Moses. Do you know what else we find out from Jewish history? Pharaoh's daughter couldn't have a child. She was barren. So God even created that to create in her a longing for that child. And when she rescued that child to raise him in the palace so he would know the customs, all of the order, how to speak to the Egyptians, how to go back and approach Pharaoh, he knew it all. He was raised in it. And even more than all of that, God took Moses and after 40 years of pleasure, he brought him out of Egypt. And then in the wilderness for 40 years, he took Egypt out of him. And now he's sending him back. And all he can say is, who am I? You know why? Because the last thing he remembered, who are you? Who do you think you are? Now I want you to think of what I'm going to tell you right now. The wounds of his past were so great that he received from others that it drowned out the audible voice of God. 
You say, Pastor, how can that happen? Same way it happens with you and me. No one blessed you. No one named you. And no one claimed you. And in your mind, you hear, I can't do it. I'm not that good. I'm not really that important. I'm not really that much of a big deal. When God says, you are the apple of my eye. When God says, I've removed all your feel, guilt, and shame, and I've removed your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. When God says, if you were the only person on earth, I'd still send my son Jesus just to die for you. That's how much I love you. That is why it is so significant for us to understand and to stay in this book right here because in a world of information when everything is bombarding us, we need to constantly feed ourselves or we'll allow the voice of the world around us to drown out the audible voice and written voice of God that's right before us. Recognize the enemy wants to wound you where God wants to use you. Break your father's flesh patterns so that it won't end up breaking you. Break them. I teach a Bible study with all executives and man in our Bible study the other day said, you know, my daddy was really hard on me. He said things to me that just truly wounded me. And he said, last week, my son did something I didn't want him to do. And he said, I started screaming at him. And after it all came out of my mouth, he said, it hit me. My God, that's just like my daddy. Do you know why? Because you have to deal with the giants of your past or they become twice as big and you dump them on your children. There is a double portion of blessing in all the sacrifices that you make, but there's also a double curse when you refuse to face it. Here's the second thing. Forgive the fallen fathers in your life. Forgive them. Forgive them. I, I had to come to a place in my life where, where as a man I looked at my father in a different way than I ever did as a child. Like there were things I've wondered like, why didn't he ever do this? And why did he say that? And why did he leave my mama here? What? And then I discovered that it, Sixth grade, he was 16 years old and couldn't speak English. And so he dropped out of school in sixth grade and lied and joined the army. Imagine going from sixth grade to the army. He married my mom when he was 18 and they started having children. And I started really just looking back going, thank God I didn't get aborted. They'd fight and every time they fought, he left her and joined the military. So he had an honorable discharge from the Army, the Air Force, and the Marines. He survived five marriages in three parts and branches of the service. I don't know if that makes you a veteran of the good kind. But I realized that, that, that I had to forgive him. Why? Look right here. Because if you don't forgive it, you relive it. You, you find yourself just like my friend saying things and all of a sudden stopping and going, my God, I'm doing exactly what I hated that my father did to me. Your father wasn't necessarily bad. Maybe some of them were. He was just broken. He was broken just like you're broken, just like I'm broken. That's why maybe the greatest gift your children will ever receive on Father's Day is not what they give you. It's by you looking at them saying, 
I, Daddy's sorry for the times I've failed you. I'd like you to remind them before they remind you. Forgive the fallen fathers in your life. And here's the final thing. Embrace the words of the Father and the fathers that God brings to your life. You see, that promise is when your father and mother forsake you, I, the Lord, will take you up. We know what the enemy's saying to men. You're not a good father. You'll never succeed in fatherhood. Why even try? Leave your children alone. They're better off without you. He's told a generation of men that. And we're now living with the consequences. What is God saying? Come to me. And I'll show you how to be the man and the husband and the father that I created you to be. You say, Pastor, why why do I know this so well? Because when I was 14, a white pastor came to the Mexican ghetto and became the first male in my life that I could respect. He picked me up at my mama's bar four times a week. He was white and I thought he was rich. He wasn't rich, but anybody who had more money than I was, I thought was. And he would carry me around, hair down to here, put his arms around me and say, this is my son. And people would look at him and look at his wife and his other child had blonde hair and they'd go, must be a maid somewhere in the picture. I called him this morning on my way to church. He's 81 years old and getting ready to preach like a man from another planet. And I said, thank you. Thank you for loving someone who was not your son like he was. For calling me out, for naming me, for claiming me, and for blessing me, for correcting me, for paying for me and praying for me. For stopping me a million times from myself and pushing me on when I wanted to stop on myself. Thank you for showing me how to love one God for a lifetime, how to love one woman for a lifetime. I'd never seen that before. Thank you. And when I hung up with him, I thought of Ira Young. Ira's almost in his 80s now. We started the church 23 years ago. We started at Ruby's Restaurant. It's now Tim's Kitchen in Broussard. I was one of the men that came every week. When I announced we were starting the church, he came up. He was then, I was, I was 39, about to be 40, and he was probably in his late 50s, which I thought was like 400. I now realize he was just a teenager. And he walked up to me and he said, I want to be a part. He said, but I want to ask you a question. I said, what's that? He said, would you be my spiritual father? I looked at his white hair and his receding hairline. And I thought, I can't say no. So I said, sure. And I began to meet with him every week and opened up this book and teach him how to become a man of God. I didn't know that he'd been married three times. I didn't know the shrapnel that lay behind in relationships and things. I didn't know any of that. I just knew he wanted a father just like I always did. And I began to pour into him. He became an elder in our church for over 20 years, and he would sit across for weeks 
at a time and then months and then years across from men all across our region and sit there in restaurants and in coffee shops teaching them and discipling them. And today he's not even strong enough to get up and go to church, but there are hundreds of men whose lives are changed and are discipling other men because he became a father even though he didn't know how to be one. You know, sometimes people wonder, why is Pastor Chris Reese here? I mean, besides the fact he and I were both with the saints. We were. I was the chaplain of the saints. That counts like with the saints. He goes, Pastor, you were just the chaplain. Some chaplain has to be the first one to go into the Hall of Fame. They have bronze statues anyways. That's my color. Because many years ago, he came through sharing a story of how he fell on a ball during a Super Bowl. And when he came, I sat across from him and for three days began to tell him what God could do in his life. And if he came here, I would be a father to him and show him how to be a pastor, a husband, a man of God. You see, his daddy left when he was two years old. But he is still a father to the fatherless. He's still a father to the fatherless. That's why we encourage you to get in a small group. That's why we encourage you to get in Bible studies. Because there you can find what I'm talking about. It's not just the gathering. It's when you truly become intimate. And men like that become a part of your life. And the Ira Youngs and those people that are all filling all of our campuses. Men, thank you for not quitting. I don't care if it's your second, third, fourth, or fifth marriage. Thank you for taking the day that honors you and honoring God first with it. Thank you. Thank you. That speaks volumes to your children. Volumes. Today, I want to pray for the men that are here. Would you close your eyes with me? I want every man here just to open up your hands, open palm, and set it on your lap. Father, today, we thank you for the true Father, the only perfect picture. The rest of us, whether it's us as fathers or those fathers that we had, or at best, broken. At worst, bad and broken. Today, we ask you to help us as we release every every wound, every hurt, every past pain of our fathers. We release them. We release them. We release them. Just take a deep breath. Father, in the name of Jesus, we release every male figure in our life that has hurt and wounded us. Every male figure in our life, every father in our life that has wounded us. Then, Father, we ask you to help us to be men of God. Men that will carry on a spiritual legacy or maybe create one that we never had ourselves. Today. Now I pray for everyone here, men, women, boys, and girls who've had godly fathers. 
Thank you for them. Thank you for them. Thank you for them. They were rare treats and treasures with their faults, with their shortcomings, but they were men of God. Thank you for them. Thank you. And now I want to pray a blessing over every man here. Father, I pray for every man and every male here. They would bring every wound to you. They would bring every dream to you. I pray, Father, that men would take even a next step in getting connected to other godly men to grow and become a part of their spiritual journey. I speak a blessing over them that they have honored you and that that is their heart's desire. I bless every man that never got a blessing from his father. He is claimed by you. He is the apple of your eye. He is your precious child that you love, that you long to help and to bring every desert air of his life and make it a mountain of God experience where you can meet him there, name him, claim him, and define him. bless every man here now. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman is born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. He said to enter the kingdom of heaven, to know him, you must be born again. You say, Pastor, how can I do that? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer, and he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. And C, confess Christ as you turn away from sin through repentance to be born again, to turn to him. The moment you do that, your sins are forgiven. Christ comes and resurrects you and raises you from the spiritually dead. That happened to me when I was 14 years old. I've had good days and bad days since, but I've never been the same since because Christ was living in me through the power of the Holy Spirit. My sins were forgiven. Fear, guilt, and shame no longer controlled my life. Have you been born again? If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've never prayed to be born again. I've been christened, baptized, and even joined the church, but I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. But you say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? Today, I want to be born again. If that's how you feel, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand high and put it back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm the only one looking. I just want to know who I want to pray for today. They would like me to pray for them to be born again so they can begin their spiritual journey of knowing God. One, God brought you here. You think your dad or your grandfather brought you? No, it didn't. God brought you here. Two, every circumstance of your life, God has worked even in these last 14 days to remind you that this is the decision you need to make to know him. And now's the time. So when I say three, if you want to be born again, I just want you to raise your hand high. Three, if that's you, raise it high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Anywhere else? Eight, nine. Okay. You 
you put your hands down. Last 10 seconds, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these nine, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. If that's you, raise it now and wave it at me. Wave it at me. 10. Anywhere else? 11. All right. Now let's pray out loud, church, with all those that raise their hand. We're going to join you. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I am born again in Jesus' name. Amen.